This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Senate is out of session for a couple of weeks, so nobody can filibuster, or not filibuster anyone else, but that doesn't mean Congress is not busy on the Hill, certainly not in the White House. We get the latest from WTOP Capitol Hill correspondent Mitchell Miller, and so we can set aside whether there will be a filibuster or not be a filibuster until they return, I suppose, Mitchell. But what should we expect from Capitol Hill? Anything going on in the House we need to know about? Well, a lot of things are still going on. There will still be virtual hearings related to the House, and the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has outlined a very ambitious agenda for this spring uh, when senators return. They include, of course, voting rights, which has created a lot of discussion related to the uh, filibuster, as you well know. Uh, Also, another area he wants to attack is economy and jobs, basically infrastructure, as well as gun violence. So now, where is all this going to go? Because of the filibuster and because of the arguments over the filibuster, it's really unclear where this will all be headed. Uh, For example, if you look at infrastructure, Pete Buttigieg, the new transportation secretary, was up here last week talking about making a generational investment uh, that could be uh, anywhere from three to four trillion dollars potentially it seems like every time we're talking about a budget item now it's in the trillions rather than the hundreds of billions Clearly, Republicans are not going to go for a lot of this, and they are going to continue to hammer away on the issue of immigration, which, of course, rocked the uh, Biden administration a bit and uh, has kept it uh, kind of off balance as it tries to get its footing in that area. Uh, So I think we're going to have a lot of back and forth again, as we usually do with Democrats and Republicans. And I also do think related to the filibuster, that issue is going to come to a head at some point because a lot of the progressives and the liberals on the Democratic side with voting rights really are pushing hard on Chuck Schumer to just get rid of the filibuster. Uh, He is playing coy at this point, but he's listening to both sides on the centrist side of the Democratic Party. A lot of people pushing back and saying, don't get rid of it. Interesting. And with that idea of a generational investment, you want to almost say to Transportation Secretary Buttigieg, I knew General Eisenhower et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, <laughs> right. Maybe we'll get a whole new system for electric roads or something. And what about federal employees returning to their offices? Are we hearing anything from the administration on sort of pushing that to happen? And has that been expressed as something Capitol Hill might be interested in? I think there's going to be a lot of interest here on Capitol Hill in connection to continuing to push for telework at agencies. We've talked about Virginia Congressman Jerry Connolly has really tried to tackle this issue and get more pressure on these agencies to move. And before the pandemic, it was a little bit less than, I think, 25 percent of people had actually teleworked from a federal agency. Well, last week, a little bit of momentum building with open PM indicating at the Federal Computer Week, as a Federal News Network reported, that they want everything to keep going in that direction. They don't want to turn the clock back once the pandemic eventually starts to fade out. So you are going to see many more agencies, I think, moving forward on this front. And I think one of the most striking figures came from the Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD. Before the pandemic, only 3% of HUD employees teleworked every day before the pandemic. Now more than 90% has been doing some kind of telework. So that shows you the kind of change that has been made. Obviously, a lot of other agencies are moving ahead as well. Each agency, as you well know, is very different, however, so I still think we're going to see a lot of people returning back to the office, but a lot of people will still be able to work from home. We're speaking with Mitchell Miller. He's Capitol Hill correspondent at WTOP. And there's another Biden White House gambit with respect to budget planning and 
how agencies go about that that reverses a policy from the Trump administration. Yeah, that's a big one. The White House this week is expected to put out its budget priorities for the next fiscal year. And the acting head of OMB, Robert Fairweather, has put the agencies on notice that he's reversing the Trump administration's decision to remove guidance from the annual budget policy document that requires agencies to evaluate the performance of their programs. The Trump administration essentially contended it just created a lot of data and a lot of paperwork, and it was just a lot of busy work. But OMB is going back to setting strategic planning goals in the budget process. Uh, OMB Director Fairweather says he thinks it's important so taxpayers know exactly what's being done to improve services, to be more transparent. So there's this directive now sets a June 4th deadline for agencies to submit draft and strategic plans and, and outline their priority goals to the OMB. Yes, because that was a type of activity that linking plans and performance to budget, that transcended parties until Trump came along. I mean, that was a gambit in the Bush administration as well as the Obama administration. So maybe agencies will want to see that come back, although I'm not sure anyone likes more paperwork and more data generation, but you can't decide anything, I guess, without the data. What's going on on the security front on Capitol Hill? I've seen mixed reports there. The concertina wire is mostly gone. That's right. Well, it's really interesting now. Uh, as, a, as somebody who comes into the Capitol uh, <clears throat> virtually every day, it really is a big difference to have that outer perimeter fencing now all taken down completely. There is an inner perimeter fencing that goes right around the most immediate Capitol complex. Uh, this past week, D.C. Delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton, who has been highly critical of the fencing, along with Maryland Senator Chris Van Hollen and Republican Senator from Missouri Roy Blunt, they introduced a very simple short piece of legislation that basically says no federal funding should go toward permanent fencing in the future around the Capitol and around the buildings around the Capitol. And uh, they say that even though it's in its early stages, there's a lot of support from other lawmakers who, as we've talked about, have complained quite a bit about the fact that they just don't like having all this fencing around. So they're worried that something similar that would happen after the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, remember when they uh, closed part of Pennsylvania Avenue in front of the White House, that became permanent. And they make the argument that if if you allow the fencing to go up, it's only going to become permanent at some point, and they want to get ahead of that. So that's a uh, interesting proposal that uh, is now being floated around the Hill. And although there are some secondary political appointees that do require Senate confirmation for when the Senate does return, the status of President Biden's cabinet is pretty well filled out now, correct? It is. It got off to a relatively slow start. There was some concern that things were being held up on a lot of fronts. But really, after last week, you effectively have the entire cabinet now approved. Uh, basically, about 15 people have all gone through. And really, there's only been one exception uh, where somebody did not actually get confirmed. And that, of course, was the nominee for the head of OMB, Neera Tanden, who withdrew her nomination after it became clear that a lot of Republicans and even some Democrats were concerned a lot about her very pointed tweeting uh, during her prior period before she was nominated. So other than that, most of the nominees went through fairly smoothly. There was really not as much controversy as some people expected. I think the nomination process went about as smoothly as the Biden administration had hoped for. And one thing that's not going very smoothly is the southern border. And of course, 
members of Congress have visited and there's been complaints that the press hasn't had adequate access to what's going on down there. But nothing legislatively seems to be cooking up that would affect Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection, any of those agencies. Right. There's been a lot of discussion, as you well know, and it seems like there's a congressional delegation down at the southern border almost every other day now. And clearly, Republicans are going to keep the heat on the Biden administration. And a lot of uh, liberal Democrats within the party are concerned that the Biden administration was really not ready for uh, what many people call a crisis. But clearly, we're on track right now to have a record number of children unaccompanied going to the border. And that is a huge issue. You mentioned about really no legislation. It's true. But um, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, South Carolina, he did reintroduce last week a proposal where he basically wants to tighten the asylum process, making it harder for people to come to the U.S. and stay here. And he also wants that to cover children as well. It gets very complicated. But also there's the issue of what Mexico will do or not do in terms of taking people back. So this is going to be a very pernicious political issue for the Biden administration moving forward. Mitchell Miller is Capitol Hill correspondent at WTOP. Thanks so much. You bet. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great men theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees, Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today, 
we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing, like never before, on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. I've led, this is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.